and boom, Bobby Nystrom scores in overtime, and that second I'm a Stanley Cup champion, and these visions go running through my head of Jean Beliveau holding the Stanley Cup. I get to go hug it. I finally get to touch the Stanley Cup. When you lift it up, it's not a piece of tin. It's heavier than you think. And the crowd's going crazy and screaming at you. And everything is just peaking because you want to remember that moment. Brian Trache, seven-time Stanley Cup champion. He's a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame and one of the greatest Indigenous hockey players of all time. He's also the author of a new memoir, All Roads Home, A Life On and Off the Ice. And he's our guest today on the Akamemuk Podcast. Tanse, Tawau, and welcome back to the Akamemuk Podcast. I'm your host, Chief Perry Belgard, former National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamemuk is a Plains Cree word for perseverance. In other words, let's keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders, and community leaders. And our guest today needs very little introduction. Brian Trache was a key player in the 1980s New York Islanders dynasty that won four straight Stanley Cups in 1980, 81, 82, and 83. He then went on to win two more with the Pittsburgh Penguins in 1991 and 92, and another one as an assistant coach with the Colorado Avalanche in 2001. He's won the Calder Trophy for Rookie of the Year. He's won the Art Ross Trophy for Top Scorer. He's also won the Hart Trophy for MVP in the playoffs. He's won NHL scoring championships, and he was even named one of the 100 greatest NHL players ever. And he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1997. And he's also very proud of his Cree and Métis roots growing up in Valmarie, southern Saskatchewan, Treaty 4 territory. Brian Trache, very big warm welcome to the Akamema Podcast. Well, thank you very, very much. It's a pleasure to be on the show, and uh, look forward to our time together. Thank you. And it's always a lot of fun uh, spending time with you, Perry. Thank you. Well, awesome, Brian. And, you know, you've done so much in hockey and uh, you've achieved so much. You're just an, one hell of a good hockey player. And you started off on your ranch in Valmarie learning to skate on a beaver pond. And from your book, you tell how your dad used to flood the beaver pond by knocking a hole in the dam and get some fresh water on. That's an awesome memory. But what are some of your most fondest memories growing up in Valmarie and learning how to skate? in southern Saskatchewan on a beaver pond. Well, we lived we lived 100 feet from the from the creek. It's a Frenchman Creek right by the house there and uh you know the the beaver dam was uh was a kind of a natural crossing. It's probably a couple of feet wide and we used it to to go across the uh the river in the summertime. And in wintertime, dad used it as a fire hydrant just to kind of flood the ice and it was really comical because it's kind of a a 2-foot drop from the top of the beaver dam to the to back down to the lower part of the river and um we thought every kid in Canada had something like this where, you know, when we get a snowstorm or we need the fresh ice, Dad would just go chop a hole in the beaver dam and that water comes shooting out like fire hydrant and we'd have fresh ice in the morning. And it was spectacular. And I, you know, we got, we kind of got, um, that's my earliest memory because when we were crawling up that riverbank to go warm our toes and our fingers up because it was so cold, um, then crawl back down there. We, we never worried about sharpening our blades. We're walking on sticks and gravel, getting down there and back. But you know, when you're learning how to skate, um, it's just one of those one of those things that are vivid in your mind because skating and hockey is just such a big part of the culture. And 
to go to town and skate in the, the arena, the enclosed arena was so fun because no snow, you're with your friends and your buddies and, you know, you're playing, you know, games like whiplash and tag and, um, you know, learning how to dodge and dart and, uh, you know, feign and scoot by everybody. And it was really kind of a, a small community, you know, 250 people, 300 people in town. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the outside lying area, probably another you know, 200 people. So, but it was a bustling little town. Um, lots of kids at that time, lots of kids my age. We probably had seven, eight kids my age uh, to make a hockey team. Then we dragged one or two from the older, the older kids and a bunch of kids younger than us to, be, to, to get a team going. But uh, those early, early beginning years were pretty, pretty memorable because, uh, you know, there's not, it's just such a big, big, fun, exciting part of your, your, your growing years. And in a game that's, such a big part of hockey's culture. Now, now growing up in Val Marie, and it's a beautiful territory down there. I don't know if our listeners know. Like, I spent four days last summer in Val Marie, and, and I just felt the magnificence of the the Grasslands National Park. Like, you can feel the energy from it. You know, the power of nature, the the grass. It flows. It dances. It's just like an ocean of energy. Um, what are some of your memories of that place geographically, growing up there in that territory? Well, the big sky, the big blue sky, wispy clouds. Um, you know, the open, the openness of it, the vastness of it and, uh, big coolies, you know, you say the word coolie, a lot of people don't know what that is, but it's just undulation valleys and, 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 you know, in the hills and, you know, mule deer galore. We had rattlesnakes, bull snakes. We had uh, prairie dogs, gophers, badgers, weasels, and any kind of, uh, um, you know, animal that, that would crawl or, or run. We had coyotes and, um, but we grew up on a ranch. So for me, it was, uh, it was, you know, love of nature, love of animals, uh, you know, which is in our blood, you know, you know, love of sport, uh, music. We had lots of music growing up and, um, mm. you know, dad called his band Grasslands Country, which I thought was a pretty cool name because the grasslands out there, spear grass, sweet grass, you know, good, really strong buffalo bison, uh, food. And they, they'd, you know, roam that range and it was wide open. It was almost like, uh, like a movie, so to speak. And mm -hmm. we lived at the foothills of, uh, what was called the 70 mile butte, which is a landmark for first nations people. And a lot of cowboys at the time, uh, through that generation, my grandfather was, was a Buffalo hunter, so to speak. And, uh, so like there's lots of history that I'm, I'm familiarized myself with through the years talking to, you know, listening to stories from family, obviously, but then, you know, talking to historians and, and, uh, you know, especially the indigenous side of things, because mom's full Irish and she was, took, took great pride in the fact that, you know, we we're of mixed blood. And, uh, you know, she, they taught us early that, you know, discrimination was just a form of jealousy. So all that stuff growing up in, in the wilds of Saskatchewan and diversity in, in, in our little community was, was, was special because, like, you know, once you got past the name calling, um, we had to play together. We had to get along because <laughs> there wasn't a lot of us. And, uh, Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, your part Scottish and French. So what? Let's go. And away we go. So it's really kind of a, a fun part of the country to grow up in. Um, you know, as I was way north one time and I think I was up in St. Teresa's Point, some, some way up northern Manitoba mm -hmm. and Ontario there. Now I, I said to myself, I was with Dale Howard Chuck and this guy were signing autographs after one of our alumni games. And one of the local natives came up and he goes, uh, Brian, do you know you're the most decorated indigenous athlete in the world? I said, no, but I'm going to steal that line because I love, I loved it because <laughs> out of the blue, like who thought? So 
I had to call the Hall of Fame and the NHL and, and a whole bunch of people to see if it was true. And whether it's true or not, I don't care because like it, it really kind of like uh, brings a sense of pride to uh, to our First Nations people that, you know, there's there's, there's somebody out there's not I'm not full blooded. I don't ever claim that. But I do have native blood and uh, the Cree mm-hmm. Métis Chippewa side of me is extremely proud. And my mom's as proud as anybody uh, that the family that, you know, we, we've had all this little fun success through a wonderful NHL career. And at the same time, we bring a little pride and, and recognition to our First Nations people because we have this wonderful love of sport and and uh, it's in our blood. And uh, here we here we go. And now I get to talk about a little bit and some of the fun stories that have happened. You mentioned music, and and that's a big part in the book. Like your your dad, Buzz Trache, had a band, and he even mentioned sometimes, and you'd finish a game or hockey practice, you'd rush just to get back into the band and play, yeah. and and the bass player, and uh, you also even talk about how you sang at your daughter's wedding. Do you, do you still play? Do you still sing? Do you still get into some of the old tunes? Well, I, I only play every day, but I'm not a professional. I like I I play to have fun, and that's really what Dad taught us. So you, I can't read music. I just. Um, we all sell by ear and just knowing the the chords and learning new 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 songs and um, you know recognizing the changes and where they go and so I kind of t- self taught myself the guitar to how to strum a guitar. It's really hard to strum a bass around a campfire and sing to it, but it was really kind of cool. Was was uh, you know everybody seems to enjoy it and uh, we've done events like you know um, different arenas across the across Canada singing center ice Johnny Cash tune or Willie Nelson tune. Uh, but we've sang at uh, a lot of different events. Over John, um, we had uh, Clark Gillies was my singer, and I lost Clark here this last year. And uh, mm-hmm. he loved to sing Johnny Cash and a little bit of Kenny Rogers, The Gambler. And all I had to do was strum the guitar. But he's quite the entertainer himself, and loves to sing. and And that's really what it's all about. Anybody who loves to sing, and I love singers, is I can strum along with just about any song, whether it's country or you know, hillbilly rock or whatever you want to call it. But I think there's lots of songs out there that everybody knows. I call them staples and, you know, they're just recognizable songs, whether they're Mm -hmm. uh, country or not. And once you, once you get one or two um, chords into it, you know, somebody's going to grab a hold and start singing. And that's what music does. It brings everybody together. And dad was really good. He was a, he, um, he wasn't probably an instrument. He couldn't play fiddle, accordion, piano, guitar. And, um, so when we had gatherings and whatnot, there was lots of singing, lots of, uh, lots of guitars, family, uh, where there was local with rodeos and weddings and funerals, unfortunately, but you know, dad was a big part of that. And, and so we became a big part of that. And, uh, so we're kind of keeping that legacy of dad going, which is a big, which is music mostly. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know the, the the joy of sport, but um, yeah, that's our little that's our little history around Valmarie was was the music. Not only a, a great hockey player in sports, but you you gifted musician as well. You sing and and uh, and play, so that's uh, that's something that's a good balance, no question. Um, I wanted to like in the book, like your mom and dad are a big influence, and uh, uh, you know, in terms of uh, their teachings, you know, and, and even it describes your work ethic. And, and of course it's going to, I'm going to ask, where does that come from? And an obvious answer is your mom and dad. And like your quote from your mom is like, Brian, treat people the way you want to be treated. And then the quote from your dad, don't do it to get it done, get it done. Right. You know, is, is that, how big was that influence over you as a kid growing up out there? Well, those are just small messages we all get from our parents and our family. And um, but the biggest thing we get, I think, is watching our our parents and watching our family how hard they work, you know, and how they how they get things done. 
and how they provide and how they they make sure that you know it's sun sun up to sunset and uh everything in between is you know just take a little pride in everything that you do and you know dad was we didn't have a big ranch we had a small ranch we had you know 40 60 cows at a time and you know 10 to 12 horses and pigs and chickens and all that fun stuff and a lot of that stuff we raised to butcher and eat and and feed the family and at the same time you know he, he was a barter a trader by nature and we called him horse trader and he was always trying to trade up and you know he talks about that when i when, when i when i gave him the car you know i gave him the car that the islanders bought me signing my first contract and he traded in for a van because he couldn't fit his music instruments and he's just a trader and he, he's always trying to trade up and improve and and make things better and he did and uh, you know finding ways to get us hockey equipment or you know selling hay to, to to buy something and you know just to make sure we had books and clothes on our back and you know music sometimes paid for for some things but you watch and you you, you see your parents how hard they work you know mom you know cooking washing clothes out in the country in the middle of nowhere remote saskatchewan and we had one tv station and you know what tv went off at 10 o'clock you know and it, it was just uh it was just a, a good way to, I think, for all of us, I think, to recognize that, you know, family values are, are powerful. You know, the garden, the garden needs attending because, you know, who who doesn't like potatoes and who doesn't like tomatoes and mm-hmm. all the things that you grow in a, in, a, in a garden. And we had fresh everything. And, um, you know, come wintertime, you know, we had, we had the, uh, the basement was full of vegetables and canned stuff. And mom was busy, you know, all summer getting ready for the winter. And, um you know, when you watch this on a daily basis and our friends are coming out to the ranch and, you know, mom said, what do you want for dinner? Let's have some chicken. She'd go chop chop the chicken's head off and watch this thing jump around the yard. My my friends would just be like, oh, my God, you guys do this every day. Yeah, now we get to pluck that thing. Now we get to like <laughs> a lot of times they'd lose their appetite by the by the time we were done, you know, uh, plucking chickens. But it was really kind of cool to have that way of life. And to, to remember it and to share this story with, with readers and people can relate to a degree at the same time be amazed that this crazy kid from Saskatchewan managed to survive all this nutty stuff that he grew up with. But I think it was just really kind of what we thought was just regular and normal. Mm-hmm. So just a normal way of living, that hard work ethic. Uh, you got to do chores. You got to feed the cows. Got to feed the chickens. Got to tend to the garden. That's, it's just a way of life. It's how you, how you grew up. It really and was, yeah. One of the takeaways from the book as well, you know, during that era, you know, like uh, usually after a hockey game, everybody has a beer, right? And everybody goes to the bar, that kind of thing. Um, like for even for me, like I don't drink alcohol because of ceremonies, Sundance ceremonies, sweat lot ceremonies, keeping clean, keeping pure, keeping that side. But I noticed from your book as well, like you didn't abuse alcohol. You, you, you didn't partake too too much from, that's what I got from the book. Where did that come from, and how did that how did that get instilled inside you, and, and uh, what drove you to be healthy like that in that way? I'm not sure. Well, the first thing is I didn't like the taste and smell of alcohol, and there was lots of it around. We had, you know, family gatherings. Grandma and Grandpa made their own homemade wine, and I didn't like that smell. It was fermenting in the bedroom. There's an extra bedroom on the side of the Grandma and Grandpa's house, and that's where us kids slept. And there's always fumes coming out of there. I think we woke up with a hangover from the fumes, but it was really, it was just, it was just around a lot. And, um, you know, from that, you know, it, usually there's arguments or something that happened, not all the time, but, you know, here and there. And I think I just didn't like the effects of it. And, you know, I think my mom and dad were really good about reminding me like athletes don't smoke and athletes don't drink. And, 
you know, I, I, I liked that. I liked it because I didn't like it anyway. I didn't like smoking. I didn't like the smell of that and the taste of that either. So even though you're around it, I think you learn and you say to yourself, you know what, just, because I didn't like didn't like it and I didn't like, you know, what kind of the, I thought, of, oh, I'm a little bit of an athlete, so I'm going to just stay away from it anyway. But, uh, you know, it's not hard to stay away from. And then even though your friends are, are you know, you grow up in 17, 18, 19, and guys are having a beer here and there, you know, I found myself being a designated driver and I liked it. And then you go to the NHL, and next thing you know, you're you're you know you're with the pros, and they're having a couple of beers. I didn't like the taste of beer, but you know you become you become the guy that just you know get everybody home and make sure that and and no one bugs you about it. I, they just kind of respect the fact that you're not a you're not a drinker. Um, yeah, did I ever drink? Yes, I'd go out with the guys and once or twice a year, you know, go out and have a little fun with the guys, but. Never to the effect I didn't want, I didn't like the after effects of waking up the next morning and, and feeling like, oh my God, I got to shake these cobwebs. Um, that was never fun either, especially during the season. So that I stayed away from it all the time during the season. And when I got into coaching, I'd have a glass of wine here and there. And then, you know, um, later on, like now, now you have a mom, how always had a toddy and I call it having a toddy mm-hmm. every once in a while. So yeah, no, it was just, uh, it was just one of those things that we were around it a lot. I didn't like the taste. And it was easy, but I think for a lot of us, I think it becomes a stigma uh, with with a lot of folks, whether I don't care what background you come from, whether you're Irish or First Nations or whatever. I hate that stigma, too, that comes with it. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So I think uh, to, to, to kind of help everybody recognize that, you know, it's a choice. It's, it's, it's a healthy choice. And like you said, how you, you stay away from it, it's, it, you pride yourself in, in having that discipline and making sure that, you know, you're sharp and you're clear and, and all those things. And I think those things help and, and motivate a person as well. Yeah. That's that healthy balance. We always say, we say, uh, uh, you know, alcohol and drugs is a big thing that affects first nations people, both on reserve, off reserve. And, and a lot of people say it's self-medication and all of that, you know, from the trauma, from the residential schools, the Indian act and everything else like that. But if you can find that strength, that inner strength to say, no, it's your choice. You're not going to do it. And you hang on to that because that that helped you throughout your career. You're 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 a better athlete. You know, no smoking, no drinking. Well, I think I think my my children, my grandchildren, we all benefit. So, like we weaned it out of the out of the family to a degree. You know, I always say to myself, I pride the the fact that my children and now my grandchildren, my my oldest grandchild's fifteen, and we very seldom have alcohol around, and mm-hmm. there's no smoking, and uh, nobody says anything about it. We don't make a big deal out of it, and. You know that everybody knows about drugs and the effect of drugs and 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 uh, you know especially the, the the really hard drugs and you know what effect that has on you long term and the negativeness. So everybody's aware of that, but nobody make we don't make a big deal of it in our family because we're just not exposed to it around it enough. But we want to make sure that you know there's education of it. You know, like making sure that you know they're active and they're in sports and they have activities and. You know, they're around friends that, you know, have the same interests. I think that that helps, too. I think, uh, you know, just growing up, I think, in an environment and making sure that they're busy enough that they're not sitting there, you know, um, you know, building up excuses. Oh, poor me or poor this or poor that. And finding ways to, like, uh, like you said, medicate themselves or or look for a different kind of uh, <laughs> craziness in their world. And. I just say to myself, yeah, no, I think it, it, there, there is a certain pride involved and there is a certain recognition and, and the fact that, uh, you know, there is that healthy balance in life, like you said. You mentioned uh, earlier on in our, our discussion dialogue, Brian, about racism and discrimination. And uh, 
growing up and you experienced some of that. And, and that's getting a lot of attention in hockey, not only in hockey and other sports as well. And not only racism, discrimination, but even the abuse, like even there's been so much calls now for, for studies in gymnastics, you know, the Canadian gymnastics team and that all over, even some of the Olympic team, like it's, it's high up high levels about this abuse, but even, uh, the racism discrimination, how have you experienced that growing up in the NHL? Like you were, you, you, you were driving the way forward and you were a skilled hockey player and you, we've talked about how many awards you've won what have you experienced growing up about racism discrimination i'm going to ask how how can we fix it going forward well i think uh you know just the fact that we're talking about i think brings attention to it and awareness i think those things are important i think for everybody because everybody has a different feeling on it um everybody has a different degree of exposure to it um and it's unique it's unique to everybody it's unique to uh to your pride and where you come from and who it reflects on. And, and for me, you know, my, my family, I look back and I say, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a big this or big that, or what should anybody be jealous of us about? But when people are name calling, um, you know, my, my, my mom and dad were great. And so were my grandparents on both sides, the Irish and, and the, uh, and, and grandpa who was uh, Cree Métis and grandma was Chippewa. They all said the same thing. It's just, they're just jealous. And I could say, what are they jealous of? Yeah, we have good horses. Yeah, we have, you know, three meals a day. And yeah, we have clean clothes. Mom took a lot of pride. Yeah, we make, make sure that we're always like, you know, have a, some kind of uh, appearance that and pride and that kind of stuff. And I think for, for, for us, I think it's just a respect. And when you respect yourself, you respect where you come from and you have pride in your in your heritage, it doesn't matter where you come from. It's like me, mixed blood. I, I always said to myself, when you take that pride and respect in yourself and where you come from, people will feel that. And my teammates and, and the NHL, and I talked about it through my career, was, you know, okay, yeah, you know, big deal. I was First Nations, but I was also um, a hockey player who was from Val Marie and Canadian-born and uh, North American um, bloodline. I just say to myself, I lucked out because I had all this wonderful history behind me that was kind of like, pushing me forward and when i talk about pride and athleticism and that kind of stuff it's it's in our blood like we're just born athletes and and my parents told us that and we we grew up with that around so to take that pride and respect and just keep carrying it forward i think is is important for all of us and recognize where you come from and 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 find that find that uh that strength and like you called it and i think those are those are things and surround yourself with other people that are that believe and, 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 and talk about the same things. And anybody who wants to be negative, I think those are the ugly people. I think so there's like, okay, you want to, you want to be ugly about it, go ahead. But, you know, I think there's a positiveness that I think a lot of us are, and there's inclusiveness. There's, there's uh, I think just a sensitivity issue. I think uh, that the pendulum swung a little bit, bit ridiculous for me. I think we got to all have a little more thick skin, but I think all of us have to recognize that, Hey, yeah, there's differences, but let's respect our differences and let's also respect the similarities that we have. You know, the, mm -hmm. the joy of having freedoms, the joy of, of sharing sport, the joy of all this stuff that I think a lot of us really, really love. And, uh, you know, stop making a big deal of all the negative stuff and, um, you know, just recognize that, you know, we, we have so many gifts as First Nations people that are in our blood, you know, whether it's music, art you know, nature, you know, hunting. There's just so many things that everybody enjoys. And, 
it's in our blood and we we celebrate this all the time and that's what mm-hmm. i like to talk about when i get into communities is look at all the strengths that we have look at all these natural um talents that we have and you know just just grab a hold of it and just really you know take it out into beyond your community and 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 go get educated and come back to your community with all this new knowledge and and uh, new experiences and you know that's what i did i i I was shy i left home and i didn't want to leave home but i left home to go chase a dream and from that i brought home wonderful experiences and mom and dad were 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 good they pushed me out the door at the same time they they welcomed me home and it's always good to go home you can always come Mm -hmm. home like dad said and and when you come home you come home with this you've grown a little bit you've matured and you have this this knowledge, this wealth of not just uh, book knowledge, but, you know, just uh, life life experiences that just kind of teach us how to how to socialize, how to get along with people, how to provide for your family. And, and uh, through that, uh, you get you get another level of pride and respect. And mm-hmm. I think all of those things combined, I think, really help us. But I think it's really kind of fun that my parents, grandparents on both sides made us feel like we were respected in our communities. We took pride in everything that we did. And, you know, Grandpa built boats. People were always asking Grandpa for this. He made his own saddles and bridles. and He was a leather man, and he was so talented. And people had such great respect for my Grandpa. And I looked at my, my Grandpa and I in, in Climax, not wealthy people, but just so respected in the community like uh yeah andy gardner oh my god you know he's just, he does all this and good farmer and you know he, like great provider doesn't take any crap from anybody and you know don't don't cross him because you're gonna get you're gonna feel the wrath <laughs> and i always thought to myself wow here uncle john and donnie and my dad they're 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 tough but they don't have to go out there and beat anybody up they're just tough good you know honest people on that journey that your mom and dad encouraged you to go out on was there any kind of a, a discrimination a race that that in your head, like I'm trying to get at like that, that you experienced personally. And then how did you deal with it? Like in your 50 plus years, like out in the system, out in the, in, you know, in the hockey world or wherever growing was there anything that you experienced personally that, man, this is one time I remember that this happened and this is what happened. And this is how I dealt with it. Is there anything that comes to your head? No, it was really, I really, I kind of lucked out because I think through, um, through hockey and through music and through all the things that we did, whether it was rodeoing, gym cannas, um, you know, sporting events of some sort, uh, there was always something and uh, we did well. We'd always do well. We'd place or, or finish at the top. And uh, so you gain a little respect. And so sometimes it's almost like, you know, like they you get name calling, but everybody did. Everybody got name calling. And okay. then my mom, mom and dad were great. They just go, you know what? They're just jealous. And we go, yep, they're just jealous. Okay, well, that's, that's just part of growing up, I guess. And so you get thick skinned and you don't, you don't, you don't respond to it negatively or positively. You just like, whatever, you know, I got, I got, I got to move on. And even on the ice, you know, like it was, yeah. it was a rough time. Like guys, guys were always like, uh, you know, you, you got to try to get under in someone's grill a little bit and try to, and people tried to get in my grill. I'm like, whatever, look at the scoreboard. I'm just going to try to beat you on the scoreboard. And that's what my parents taught us. And it was really kind of like a wonderful lesson because that's how you overcome a lot. It's not, it's not mm-hmm. always responding to it negatively, or but take a look and you say, you know what? This is going to give me a, a different kind of motivation and a different way of like finding that you're going to respect me at the end of this, <laughs> at the end of this contest, because it's going to be kind of a, 
a, a, a good battle. And uh, that's where you gain respect. And guys were at the end of it, like, holy cow, you know, I can't get in his grill. I can't name call him. I can't, you know, try to get him off his game a little bit. He's just going to keep coming. And I think that's where you, you kind of like say, I said to myself, I'm not going to respond to this. I'm going to, I'm going to show them I'm, I'm better than this. I'm, I'm better than name calling. I'm better than, than, than getting into that, that, that verbal battle of, you know, name calling. It was, yeah. it was not a big part of my life. So you had that resiliency, that toughness, that mental toughness just to move beyond. Uh, I don't have to beat you on the, I'll beat you on the scoreboard and uh, I'll get back at you that way. And uh, I think um, one of the other things I got from your book, this book called All Roads Home, A Life On and Off the Ice. It's a great book. But one of the things in there that I took away was that you've got a great relationship with another Saskatchewan guy from Weber, Dave Tiger Williams. And the Williams brothers, there's a whole pile of them from Weyburn, Saskatchewan. Uh, but you got a special bond with Tiger. And yeah. tell us about that, like uh, not only in Swift Current, but even further on in, in your career. Tell us about that relationship. How did that come to be? For whatever reason, Tiger took a little bit of a shine to me when uh, I went up to Stan Dunn's hockey school in Swift Current. And Stan Dunn was yeah. the coach of the junior team for the Broncos. And Tiger was one of the instructors. And I was one of the campers. And uh, for whatever reason, you know, after the first week, uh, Stan said, you know, I was just a little bit beyond. I was four, 15 or 14 or 15. And, and he's next thing you know, the next following week, I was Tiger's helper. And uh, it was really kind of fun to be able to, like, you know, follow this guy who was, who was so uh, confident and brash and a little, a little bit street smart. And I like being around him. And, uh, you know, he, my mom and dad took a shine to him and, and all of us kind of got along. And next thing you know, I'm playing junior hockey with him. And, you know, he kind of, he, he was one of these guys that was, had a big man presence, even though he wasn't a giant of a man, he was fearless. And when you're fearless, um, you have a presence and, uh, he was our big man presence in the Broncos. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot, he had a lot of respect. We'd go into Flin Flon or Edmonton or Calgary. And he was like, come on, boys. You know, let's go out there. If we can't beat them on the scoreboard, we'll beat them on it. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> is it going to be that kind of a game? And by God, he he gave us he gave us a, a presence, but also was kind of a big brother, uh, a leader in that sense because you know he he made himself a really good hockey player. He, we spent mm-hmm. a lot of time together on the ice, developing skills, and I needed that that junior hockey for me. 16, 17, 18 was good developmental time because we'd spend two, three, four hours a day on the ice every day you know working on skills and we went to the rink with a purpose every day and tiger was good at that like he was he was he was on a mission like i was so we shared that that dream of playing in the nhl so whether i jumped on his coattails or he jumped a little bit on mine but i was two years younger than him i called him my big brother at the time and i didn't have a big brother and i wanted to quit hockey at christmas time one time because it wasn't fun i was playing five six minutes a day a game and fourth line and the fourth line were brawlers and i wasn't a brawler i was five foot six hundred sixty pounds Mm-hmm. You know, and, and going against guys 6'2", 220 pounds. And it was not fun playing hockey because all you're doing is fighting. And I lost my teeth and getting black eyes and my nose broke a few times. And I wanted to quit. And Tiger came down and got me and dragged me back to Swift Current and said, you're going to, you know, no one's going to touch you for the rest of your career, rest of your junior career. I'm going to play left wing with you. And it was true because yeah. anytime somebody looked at me, Tiger just go beat the crap out of him. I'm like, oh, thank you, hockey god. <laughs> I got this guy, and people would even look at me the wrong way. Tiger would get right in their face. And, you know, he wasn't afraid to drop the gloves. And next thing you know, like, I'm like, what was that all about? He's like, oh, I owed that guy from before. And he's like, he'll never touch you again. I'm like, and it was true. 
So you have that. And the next thing you know, I'm in New York with Clark Gillies and, and, and I've yeah. got another big brother. So like when you have that, that presence on your line, you can just play hockey. Hockey was fun again for me. And so I, I owe Tiger for that. You know, to, to, he brought me back in hockey when I was ready to quit, go back to Valmarie, go to school, maybe mm-hmm. go to college, maybe go to University of Saskatoon, pay for Huskies, you know, get a little education, you know, be, be at home with mom's good cooking again. And there was just a <laughs> homesickness, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, it was really an interesting time. And then through the NHL years, we'd have to sneak out after hockey games or, you know, have a have our little our little friendship time and visit and that kind of stuff because we weren't allowed to um, congregate with our, our friends during my career. And so we'd always do it after or during the summer. And uh, we kept that connection and keep that connection going today. I love Tiger. I love his wife, Brenda, and their kids. And mm-hmm. there's nothing I won't do for him and vice versa. So whenever we get a chance to... To, uh, he'd come out to the ranch and, and hunt and help us with brandings and that kind of stuff because he liked being a little bit of a cowboy. And, uh, so there was just so many fun moments that we shared together and uh, that history that we have. And that bond is, is never going to go away because, you know, like, you know what friendships are when you're young yeah. and they stay connected. They, they, they stay with you forever. And he knows everything bad about me. I know everything bad about him. And we don't care because we love each other for all the good things. And uh, that's what good friends do. Mm-hmm. So you got your big brothers, your big brothers and uh, Tiger Williams and Clark Gillies. That's your, part of your family. Um, growing up, though, as, as, a, as a young young guy out in the prairies, uh, in addition to those two big brothers, who else who else uh, influenced you as a role model growing up? Who did you look up to and say, "Man, I want to be like those guys"? Well, locally, like in our little town, we had we had really good athletes. Paulino Labelle was a wonderful hockey player. I thought he should have went to the NHL, and he was the most powerful, you know, best shot. He was uh, the best skater, the best player in Valmarine. I thought. I am. I tried. I wanted to be like Paulino Labelle. I had two uncles over in Climax, where my mom's mm-hmm. from. Climax Saskatchewan, Don and John Gardner, that were terrific athletes in baseball and hockey. And I thought, my God, you know, these guys are so good. I hope I can be as good as they are when I get big. And so they were my my local heroes. Mm-hmm. And then you go out and you, you, you know, you're watching TV, Gordie House on TV, you know, John Beliveau, Montreal Canadiens, Dave Keon, George Armstrong. You know, there was... There were some amazing hockey players, Stan Makita, Bobby Hall in Chicago in 61. Mm-hmm. I still remember it vividly, and I wasn't very old because, you know, you're watching these players and you want to see how smooth they are, how they skate, you know, how they stick handle. And you, you go down to the creek and you go into the rink and you want to practice like them. And uh, you saw something on Hockey Night in Canada. You, you know, all of a sudden Bobby Orr comes along and Gilbert Perot and how fast they were and how slick they were and they could go from end to end stick handling and you know i was a defenseman so i i liked bobby or i thought he was fantastic you mm-hmm. know and they, so he, he kind of like was was one of those influences and you know how he played and he could attack be back on defense and block shots help the goalie move the puck up jump into the play you know attack again and all those things that were part of me that so when i got on to junior hockey all of a sudden i've got these uh, these wonderful examples ahead of me that you know I'm trying all these different things and dad was encouraging and coaches were encouraging and you know I like to bump people so that was a part of my game and I always thought to myself you know if you can if you can help the team I was all about winning that was my bottom line I wanted to mm-hmm. win you know it wasn't about scoring a goal yeah I want to score goals but I wanted to win the hockey game and there's different ways you can win you know if a team is faster than you you gotta you gotta you gotta bump them slow them down if they're 
If they're not a strategy, you got to be quicker than them. You got to find ways to win. And that's what I like. That's part of my competition was finding ways to win and overcome the guys that we're competing against. Uh, so our little town of Valmarie, we didn't have a lot of players. So I got a lot of ice time. I got a ton of ice time. And you know, when you're playing, you know, in a, in a, in a, a 60 minute game, you're playing 35, 40, 45 minutes a game. You're taking, you know, you're on the ice a lot and you're defending, then you're jumping in the attack and you're kind of thwarting their attack. And at the same time, you're, you're trying to sneak up and, you know, sting them on, on scoring a goal or, or, or beating them on, like I said, on the scoreboard. I think it was really kind of a, uh, an opportunity for me to develop and learn how to win and learn how to overcome and learn how to, to be a part of defense, be a part of the offense. And uh, so I'm always working on some kind of skill. So to have like Gordie Howe and Jean Bellabo and, and that era of hockey players on TV and I'm watching them and my local heroes and dad was a fantastic athlete and I'd watch him. He taught me how to take a shot. He taught me how to stick handle and skate for the first time. Those are powerful influences. And you want to, you, you want to say, wow, you know, I, 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 maybe I can be as good as my dad. Maybe I can be as good as Gordy Howe. Maybe I can work on this. And that's what it is. It's practice. It takes a lot of hours of practice. And, um, you know, I had a, I had a stick, a hockey stick by the front door. So when I was going down to the, the barn to do chores, I had something to stick handle all the way down to do chores. Summertime, it was a tennis ball. In wintertime, it was a frozen horse turd. You know, you got to you got to find whatever's around to like work on your skills. And I'd shoot at my sisters and brothers, and you know they were my goalies. <laughs> and the goal, the, the 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 dog down on the creek, he he wanted to be a goalie, so I'd I'd shoot like the rubber the rubber uh, ball and the tennis ball at him. And he was a heck of a goalie. That that dog was a good goalie, but it, you. <laughs> You know that's the fun part of being a kid, right? You just yeah. you just you, you you make do and you you make your own games and you have fun growing up and in the remote parts of Canada on the on the ranch where you know you got only brothers and sisters to play with or a, or a dog and you know you make the most of it. And a little creek, like you said, a little beaver dam pond to to play on, skate on, and and learn how how to develop your skills. And hockey night in Canada was a big part of my life and. You know, it's a big motivator because I couldn't wait for Hockey Night in Canada to, to watch something and, and then go practice it the next day. Did you transition from right-handed to left-hander as a, as a child? There was another chapter in the book. I, was, I think your dad wanted you right-handed, but you just, no, going to go lefty. But tell us about that piece. That was that was actually pretty funny when I think back on it. It was, it was tough at the time because dad was right-handed shot. So he, when he held the stick... You know, his right hand was always on the lower part of the stick, and he'd shot. He'd show me how to take a shot, and go, we had a we had a board that he placed on on the riverbank. He said, "Just shoot at that board all the time. Try to hit that board," and that became my target. And I'd, I'd practice for hours, wrist you know, wrist shot, you know, stick handling, right handed. But when I started playing hockey, for whatever reason, during the game, my right hand would go to my top hand, and I start flushing people. I start poke checking right handed, and then when I go to shoot. I'd, I'd flip it down below and take a shot. And uh, my first goal that I scored, um, you know, and Dad would bark at me every once in a while when I went lefty. He'd say, hey, hey, hey. And I'd, I'd flip back to right-handed because I was practicing stick and I could do that. But when I scored my first goal, I was actually playing defense. And I scored my first goal. My buddy Jensen fell on his butt. And I just came in from the point And I said, Jensen. I screwed, yelled at he, he On his butt, he just sweeped the puck over to me. I grabbed it. And I was, was holding on to the, the stick with my top hand 
with my right hand on the top and I just grabbed my stick and I shot it at the net and it went to the top part of the net. I scored a goal, ended up being the game winner, my first goal ever. Mm-hmm. And dad said on the way home, he goes, I think you're a lefty. And, and I just stayed lefty <laughs> after that. I was like nine years old or something. And uh, so, yeah, my Gordie Howe stick went, went to the closet with my righty Gordie Howe <laughs> went to the closet and I got a, a, a lefty Jean Velovo stick yeah. out of from Art LaBelle. And that was really kind of the, the transition for me. But, um, you know, every kid finds their own, their own shot. Right. And, uh, you know, you might think you're a righty and next thing you know, Oh, maybe I could, maybe I'm a lefty. Um, you know, but I think that was, that was a fun, fun part for me was, was figuring it out. And, um, yeah, I, I probably scored a couple goals in AHL right hand shot, believe it or not. And it was just right there and guys hold on to your arm. You just kind of shoot righty and, Catch the goalie off balance. Like, I thought you were a lefty. I know, but it was, that's all I had at the time. <laughs> snuck it, snuck it by you that time. Well, uh, that's a, that's a great story. Now you transitioned uh, from Swift Current to Lethbridge and up to New York Islanders and uh, you're in the NHL. And since you were five years old in the book, it says you wanted to win that Stanley Cup. Tell us about that first Stanley Cup win in 1980 when you were with the New York Islanders. And that, that was my bottom line was the Stanley Cup. That was my dream was to, to, to win a Stanley Cup. And when you're a young kid and that Stanley Cup is the biggest, shiniest trophy you've ever seen. And you see Jean Beliveau raising it up and, you know, some of your hockey idols. And you say, my God, that must be the greatest feeling in the world. And uh, there you are. You're in the finals against the Philadelphia Flyers, your rivals. And they've got they've got great players on their team, Bobby Clark and Reggie Leach and there you are in the finals against the great Philadelphia Flyers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're a hungry young team and we're up and coming. We got some, some future guys that are all going to end up being hall of famers, Dennis Potvin, Clark Gillies, Mike Bossy. And we have a tough team and we've got a great goaltender, Billy Smith and Al Arbor, our coach. And it was our time. And, you know, to our credit, you know, we, we were disciplined. I think we were, we were skilled enough. Uh, we worked hard. We earned it. We did. It wasn't. It wasn't handed to us. We didn't get. It wasn't gifted to us. We took advantage of our opportunities, and uh, to a man, everybody contributed. Uh, so yeah, that first Stanley Cup. When they bring that cup out, <clears throat> and you're overtime, Bobby Nystrom scores in overtime, and uh, you're a champion. That second, snap of your fingers, and I can remember being on the bench, saying to myself, "I got to rest fast." get ready for my next shift because that was dad's all that was dad's mantra was rest fast you're going right back out and so i prided myself in stamina and not getting tired and and again that's our first nation right because we are we're, we're so proud of ourselves and stamina and conditioning and athleticism so i i gotta be i gotta be ready and boom bobby nystrom scores in overtime and uh that second i'm a stanley cup champion and these visions go running through my head of jean beliveau holding the Stanley Cup. I get to go hug it. I finally get to touch the Stanley Cup. They're going to put my name on there for the rest. It's going to be there for the rest of my life. It's going to be there forever. And uh, you start reading some of the names that are on there. Some of your heroes, Gordie Howe, Bobby Orr, you know, Stan Makita, Jean Bellowood. And I knew exactly where to look on the Stanley Cup because I knew what years they were, win- they were winning. And when you touch it, how cool it feels to touch. And when you lift it up, it's not a piece of tin. It's heavier than you think. And when you pump it up over your head, you feel like a weightlifter. And all these moments, that the crowd's going crazy and screaming at you. And, and you're, you're, you're just trying to grasp the moment. And, you know, the, Every, all your senses are peaking, your touch and smell and, 
you know, just the, uh, your vision, everything is just peaking because you want to remember that moment mm-hmm. and that moment so vivid in my mind and holding, my, holding my teammates and thanking them and them thanking me and, um, you know, sharing that moment with hockey fans on Long Island and then calling mom and dad and calling all my buddies and they're all calling. There was no cell phones in those days. You had to, it was only landlines. So it was really kind of a, I won't say, you know, it was a long process calling everybody, believe me, but you know, the celebrations were fantastic. You know, the, the, the feeling of being a champion, to me, that was the, the, the highest moment. Like when you can achieve your ultimate goal of winning a Stanley Cup, a boyhood dream that comes true. And then you say, wow, I got to try to do this again. I want to do that. I want mm-hmm. this feeling. Yeah, I never want to lose this feeling. And we did it four years in a row. Yeah. That's impressive. Like I think back and I'm like, how the heck? But w- what a special group of guys and what a special time. For, for all of us. And then all of a sudden I go to another team, win two more. I mean, exactly. that was my ultimate. I just wanted to make sure like that to win the last game of the year and hold the trophy, the Stanley Cup, the greatest trophy in, in sports to me was like spectacular. Reggie Leach and George Armstrong and Freddie Sasakamoose and Ted Nolan, Theo Fleury, Stan Jonathan, John Shabbat, Jim Nielsen, Aaron Asham, um, Jordan Tutu. Brian Trottier, you you guys, like for me, I've always said you don't have to be elected to be a leader. And uh, Brian, you you're, you are a leader for, for all of us. And uh, you've done such amazing things. And uh, you're a role model. You're walking in, in, in all worlds in a very healthy, respectful way. Um, I always ask a question to my guests on the Akamemuk podcast. In, in spite of everything that you've endured, in spite of what's going on all around us, you know, in Canada, USA, the world, uh, there's so many terrible things happening. But what gives you hope as an individual? Hope. Hope is a wonderful word. Uh, I think all of us, um, you know, hope springs eternal. I, one of my, my favorite phrases is, is the, the, you know, in the toughest day or the toughest moments, you know, we all, we all grab a hold of hope. And I think it uh, it gives us an opportunity to think positively. It thinks it's an opportunity that good things are ahead of us. The, the, Whatever is around the corner, we, we look forward to that. And it, with hope, I think it's, it's looking forward. And another one of my favorite phrases is Walt Disney, you know, keep, keep moving forward. And uh, I use that phrase throughout the book because it really kept me moving forward. Um, it keeps me looking forward to the ne- what's around the corner, and that's the word hope. And uh, you use it well. And thank you for your kind words because I think you know leadership is a wonderful thing. Like it, 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 it's in all of us. I tell little kids when I do hockey camps or I'm instructing, I always tell them, you know there's a little leader in all of us. Like, there, like only one guy can wear the ca- the C. One guy can be the captain of the team. You know maybe he's maybe he's the best player, but you know everybody can be the best teammate. And being a best teammate is being a leader. And all of us have that little leader in all of us. And I try to encourage everybody to be a leader. And you don't have to be, like you said, the chief. You don't have to be the president. You don't have to be the, the, the coach or the general manager. Um, but you can be the best part of the team. And when you're the best part of the team, you're encouraging and you're doing all the positive things. You're working hard. People look at that and you inspire. And by inspiring, you're being a leader. And I think all of us want to inspire and, and influence in a positive way. So that's how I look at hope. I look at hope as being a positive influence, looking forward to what's what's next. 
what's what's going to happen next that that we can influence in a positive way can i be a positive influence can i can i support that can i be can i be a part of something that's really going to be wonderful and uh you know so those are the things i think all of us want and in despair or hard times or whatever it is we grab a hold of hope and we know that there's something better just around the corner and uh, you know we want to be a part of something we want to be part of that that specialness and um, that's how I look at hope and that's how I look mm. forward to being I think a positive influence and and inspire the next generation of I call it student athlete because I think being an athlete is one thing but when you're a student athlete and you're learning and you're going to school and you're being a good student you know you'll take that those same disciplines and take those to your sport you know whether it's homework whether it's uh, you know paying attention, focusing, all those things are important because they're ma- they're, they're they're pushing you towards what your dream is and what you want to achieve. And uh, you know, my dream was playing in the NHL. You know, going playing the highest level of hockey. And uh, it doesn't have to be everybody's dream, but if you're if it's music or art or whatever it is, you know, use your skills, your natural talents, and beyond that, you know, grab a hold of something that work hard every day, look, work towards something and surround yourself with good people and, and look for opportunities where you can, you can jump through the next door or window of opportunity and, and, and keep, keep climbing that ladder, taking, taking advantage of opportunity, but also creating your own opportunity by, by being educated and building your disciplines and your life skills so that, you know, these will be your foundation and, and it'll carry you forward. And so when hope when you need a hold, uh, grab a hold of that word hope, you know, you'll be, a, you'll be a big part of that, a big part of that growth. Wow. Brian, is there anything else you wanted to share or add? No, I would like to say this though, Perry, this, yep. this is probably one of the most powerful podcasts I've ever been on. I like the message. I really enjoyed the perseverance aspect of it when early in your show, when you use that word perseverance, because I believe that's a big part of our, our, our culture in First Nations is perseverance. Uh, a lot of people I talk to, a lot of communities I go to, they pride themselves in their perseverance and, um, you know, overcoming and uh, challenges and those kinds of things, which I think is a wonderful, powerful message. So I, I commend you on the show. I pr- commend you on, on a whole bunch of things, but I really thank you for, for the opportunity to come on the show because... You know, a lot of podcasts, I, I've been on lots of them. This was one of my favorites, so thank you very much. I think you guys did a wonderful message, and uh, you made me feel proud. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for your contributions, not only on the ice, but off the ice as well, for the kind of life, you, kind of life you're living for your, your family, your, your children, your grandchildren, and everybody that's watching you. I want to thank you so much for being on the Akamema podcast, and a big to all of you for listening. And if you like this podcast, please rate it and review us wherever you listen. It helps people to find these interviews. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. You can find me on social media by searching at Perry Belgard. We'll be back next month. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard. Ego safe.